0: connecting we're on youtube
1: we're on facebook still not on twitch
0: how many people do we have on twitch anyway
1: oh maybe two on a good day but okay and we're live um hey everybody welcome to episode 69 of the homemade camera podcast we have a very special guest today jeremiah jones who is at sunny 16 underscore photo on instagram uh he is a camera builder that i know through maybe three emails and enjoying his instagram feed which i have up on my phone right now we'll maybe do some screen shares of that um jeremiah welcome to the podcast
2: thanks guys really glad to be here huge fan
1: oh we're i i'm also a huge fan so uh today we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, who you are what you do how you got into camera making and some of the cameras you make that uh i have it over the internet or find inspiring um let's start uh jeremiah who are you where where do you live what's your deal
2: uh well there's a lot to unpack there um So my name's Jeremiah Jones. Uh, I live in, well, just outside Baltimore, a small town called Boring Maryland, believe it or not. Um, I uh, grew up in the Maryland area, bounced around the country a lot. Uh, uh, Long story short, landed in New York um, and spent mm, about 10 years in the um, photo industry there. Before that long, Passion of photography. You know, I took every photo class through high school and to the point where it was an independent study for me my senior year. And all I did was build pinhole cameras and hide in the dark room. So, um, you know, fast forward through the years, always had a camera with me. Um, family, a lot of my family is uh, very camera oriented. One of my uncles was actually a manager of. Uh, Ritz cameras. I don't know if you remember the. Of train, course. But the I gave them lots different... of
3: my money. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so... in fact, I have a Quantaray body somewhere around here, and a bunch of Quanteray lenses. That's There's great. a Quanteray right there.
2: <laughs> That's how they all end up. <laughs> <laughs> um. So my uh my uncle he was he was a huge supporter of my my uh, photography career, he'd take me on trips and uh, give me all these um, rolls, 10 shot rolls of agfa chrome and agfa color negative film um, that they would just get free. He would just give me like shopping bags full of this and I would shoot it all and the next time I'd see him, I'd pass it to him and he would process it for me and then the next time I'd see him, I'd get the prints and go through and then, you know, eventually, I uh, found myself uh, uh, working with a photographer who's actually based here in Maryland and I met through my parents. Um, I volunteered uh, for her uh, apprentice, I guess, for a few months uh, until I started to outshine some of her other photo assistants, and she's like, I don't know why I'm paying this guy. I'm going to start paying you now, and that... of snowballed into me moving to new york city and um diving into a uh full-fledged photo career so meanwhile in the background the uh sewing machines um uh have always kind of been there as well Uh, high school i was modifying and making my own clothes crazy kids um and then uh eventually got a job out in colorado in a shop uh a, that did uh, sewing repairs. Uh, it was all commercial equipment, and they did some small production runs. And uh, I spent, uh, let's see, better part of three years in the um, in that shop and a couple other shops around there. Uh, and that kind of I had my sewing chops at that point. Um, and when I moved to New York, I had an industrial machine that I moved with me and anytime I wasn't working or assisting, which was, you know, really hit or miss, especially towards the digital transition, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you know, I was sewing bags, I was making custom camera bags for friends in the, you know, in the industry, fixing busted light meter cases, light, uh, light stand cases, that kind of thing. Um, you know, side hustle, whatever you can do to pay the rent and keep food coming in.
1: Hey, can I uh ask what what years were you working in the photo industry in New York?
2: Let's see. Uh that's 2000 through 2010.
1: I had a little bit of overlap. Uh just, Did you? Uh, yeah, I assisted this uh jewelry photographer named David Beal, who's a bit of a genius. And I was just, you know, the Did you say David Field? Beal, B E H L. Beal. Okay, okay. Did you work for David Field? Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah it was, it was kind of <laughs> that reminds me of my friend uh tara cooper who had a nemesis named tanya hooper at uh summer camp when she was a kid <laughs> no i was just the uh awesome. the monkey that ran the film to the lab you know we shot four by fives and sometimes eight by tens and i would uh get on david's bike and ride across canal street to uh to the lab and drop it off in the morning after the first set and then After the second set, I would drop off the second set and then look at the first set on the light table and call on the landline and say, Okay, these are exposed properly. You can break down set one and start on two, or like, No, no, no. (laughs) Run box one, normal.
2: Run box two, uh, plus one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, my first job was actually in a still life um, studio in New York. My first, uh, like, full time studio job uh guy named Tom Card uh and we shot a lot of um like Neiman Marcus catalog stuff and this was all uh so this is 2001 maybe um, we uh shot it all on chrome 4 by 5 8 by 10 uh polaroids
1: prophoto It exactly my job. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, did like I... the Van Cleef and Arpels catalog stuff. <laughs>
2: Oh, man. Yeah, we did a lot of, um, I worked with Simon Doonan a lot on oh, the, uh, all the catalog work for, uh, Barney's. Um, they were, you know, we, they would just have a fancy lunch outside the studio while we're in there snapping away pictures of diamonds and whatnot. Yeah. We'd have sometimes as many as, uh, 40 heads on 40 lights, strobes on one set lighting one thing, uh, You could feel the heat generated off the set when those strobes (laughs) pop
1: yep yeah i remember um you know i'm not like small or nimble but a lot of my jobs was was, like climbing between 20 c stands to like (laughs) move a diamond a millimeter so it was pointed at the camera or to like move ahead a little bit and i'm just like you know doing gymnastics through through lighting setups, and eventually we got this great um, overhead rail thing where you could just drop and pull the strobes down. And then Uh, David moved out of that studio about a year later. (laughs) That was real sad. Uh, Now, were you
2: shooting like quarter stop brackets on the chrome sheet film?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so like it was uh, I I started working for this guy, David Beal, who's a father of a friend of mine who's a talented photographer. And uh, he hired me to put the plumbing into his new dark room, um, so I did that. And then we built the dark room and the darkroom sink. And then he hired me to sit in the dark room all day, uh, just loading four by five holders. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually, I, I worked my way up to, uh, you know, running the film to the lab, and uh, sometimes getting lunch if, if clients were there, um, or you know, moving light stands and. Eventually, we went digital, and I ran the computer tethered. And then I felt like I was the boss because he would shoot a frame, and I'd say, "All right, David, move it a little to the left," which was like the the other way around. Um, And you know, he would say things like, "Can't we fix it in post?" And I was like, "Didn't you just spend two years telling me to do it right the first time?" But yeah, yeah, you know, we would we would pack down you know dozens and dozens of frames into. You know, over one stop, under one stop, over a quarter stop boxes, and then you know, sort them out at the lab after after the first process run. I, I bet um, probably a lot of people who started their careers uh, around our age or fifty years older uh, just doing that.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I you know that taught me a lot about four by five, and really influenced a lot of the building that I do today. Uh because you got to understand the fundamentals of the of the camera and how it functions.
1: So, okay. Um all of these things are are now mixed up in my outline here, but um let's let's bring it back and and, and you had mentioned that you spent a lot of time building pinhole cameras in high school or were you always a builder of things um and were those things always cameras? Uh, obviously, you uh, are are a tailor of sorts. Um, you were a camera maker. What, what else do you make, Jeremiah?
2: Oh, man. Uh, Volvos. I make Volvos now out of other <laughs> Volvos. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always been a tinkerer. It's just my nature can't leave well enough alone. Something isn't right. I got to fix it. Um, I think also being left-handed uh, has something to do with it. A lot of adapting. Uh, or trying to make things adapt to how I work. Um, so yeah, never quite satisfied with how things stand and I always have to make them better for myself.
1: Can you think of the first thing that you built that you were like really happy with, maybe as a kid?
2: Oh man, um, so my dad is a carpenter. So there was, um, I mean, anytime there's leftover wood, it came home, um, I built everything and anything out of that i like i would build battleships that would float in the pond and then i grew up in a very rural part of maryland no neighbors for miles uh we would get out 22s and shoot the try and sink the battleships in the pond and um we, what else would we build i built a yeah. lot of wooden swords rubber band guns all that stuff
0: i, I was
3: limited to firecrackers and tonka toys so, <laughs> um You know, halfway to a cannon there. (laughs) So, um, so you're, you're, um, when, let's start with the, um, that building that first camera, was it a pinhole or was it, uh,
2: something else? The first, so the very first camera was like, uh, Quaker Oats box you know uh you know a piece of uh brass um sheet and a and literally a pinhole in it and running around my high school uh taking pictures of anything and everything um later that you know as i started like that class was just so much fun for me uh having free access to the darkroom i was making so much stuff and it just started to evolve. And then uh, one day a teacher brought out a box of cameras that other students had made. They're like, you can do whatever you want with these. So then uh, one guy had made this huge um, pinhole that had its own, he made a cardboard uh, eight and a half or eight by a 10 sheet holder. So you could fit a whole Mm -hmm. piece of uh, paper in there and uh, I modified that, added some lenses to it, and we got some really, really wild stuff. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And um, the, After that, there was some tinkering and things like that later down the road, um, but it was mostly, uh, you know, I had my Nikons and Pentaxes early on, uh, SLRs, and then um, around 1997, No, 98, my grandfather passed away, and I inherited his um, Leica M3 and a few lenses. And um, I started to use that religiously and um, started to round up lenses for it and things like that. Uh, And that kind of, again, really influenced my uh, photography, especially learning scale focus and sunny 16, because there's no light meter on that thing. Uh, I don't, actually, my uncle is the one who taught me the Sunny 16 rule, because the first camera he gave me was a Nikon FG, um, which is a battery, uh, so it's a quartz shutter, so battery-operated mechanical shutter. Um, but it has a setting on the uh, shutter speed dial M90, which is a 90th of a second manual fire, and it just fires at a 90th, and you can you know, work with a flash, and it kind of gives you a nice mid-range, and you can still make pictures when your battery dies. So he taught me how to use that. And he's like, well look, you just, you know, judged his son. sunny 16 really explained it all to me. And that kind of uh influenced again from there, just kind of grew. So I've I've been using that since high school.
3: And hence hence your handle.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously on, you know, when we're photographing diamonds, it's a little different because we're each sure. is a you know eighth of a stop or whatever a tenth of a stop difference right. so, um but you know you get the right tools for the job you get a nice light meter
1: so um before we get on to cameras jeremiah what uh what types of pictures have you liked to take throughout your life has that changed or or your you know, um, into one or two types of things. I I assume you were one of these guys that carries a camera everywhere, and shoots uh, just about anything that's interesting to you. Maybe that's an assumption on my part. But um, what type of photographer do, you, or what type of photos do you like to take?
2: Well, um, so it's evolved over the years, right? I um, when I was living in New York, pursuing a, uh. Photography career, right? I have, a. am building a book. I'm shopping a book around from, uh, you know. Agency to, um. Uh, magazine after magazine, you know, dropping it off on, you know, a Tuesday and picking it up on a Thursday and if I can get a meeting with the editor. Awesome. But, you know, that was. A lot of work and a very competitive market. Um, mm-hmm. and this is right before. Uh, you know, this big digital transition. Before that, it wasn't really being used commercially except as like a um, previewing device or uh, casting. So that's, you know, back when that code app camera wasn't that long. Um. So, uh, who was that? Sure Sorry.
3: Graham, is that you? Yeah. Oh, I thought I muted. It's not letting me
1: mute. I'm... Okay. Sorry about that um, no, no. yeah, so I mean if you were in in it around two thousand to what did you say oh seven something like that,
2: I left in two thousand and nine but uh I moved back to Maryland in two thousand and nine, but I started traveling I was traveling back and forth between New York and uh Baltimore for work while my uh other businesses were starting to take off, so it was like transition
1: year so i i want to explore that a little bit so uh your business transition kind of coincided with the transition from film to digital right like so i was assisting at the time where we shot everything on four by five chromes and one day we just happened to have a job that needed to be turned around in like three hours and so one of us ran to B and bought a d200 and it was good enough for that one job and we put the sinars and the Hasselblads in the safe and like, assumed that the next day we would break them out, and we just kept having jobs that didn't need much more quality than a D200 could put out. Kept shooting with it, and eventually, like, we had a, a leaf back for the Hasselblad. And a year later, we kind of shot nothing on film. That must have been around 03, 04. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much my career. So when I started in. 2000 I was it was exclusively film um, medium format 35 millimeter a lot uh, 4x5 8x10 and get the oddball guy that's shooting you know some weird format that he made or 11x14
1: double page spreads for an auction catalog
2: (laughs) yep yep we did some uh we did a billboard with an 11x14 camera We're like I think it was Tag Heuer or something like that. Fancy. Um, yeah, fancy stuff. But um the so you know, in that time I watched this digital evolution where we're using these giant Kodak branded Nikon uh bodied cameras. The 14N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got an old one stuffed Couple in the pile here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like a brick. I don't know what you would do with it. Um, But anyway, it, um, you know, we were using that for casting. We would have 40 models walk through the door that day um, and I would shoot them all with that. And, you know, then we'd sit down the next day, screen all the images, put all the selects in a folder. That was the extent of our digital work. And um, uh, and then I guess. Yeah, about three years later, uh, we started to see more of that stuff come into play. Um, We were using. uh, There's a lot of ad campaigns where we would um, shoot two things. We would shoot four by five and then we would uh, have to interlace it with things that you can't really shoot with a four by five. Like if you're trying to go out to the beach and shoot silhouetted seagulls to drop into uh, some of these images. It's hard to do that with sheet film. Um, I couldn't imagine doing it with a, trying to get a. They were talking about trying to bring in a, um, a bird wrangler and trying to set this all up on a set. I was like, dude, just get take the digital camera to the beach, point it towards the sky, you'll be good.
1: I remember I had a day in the middle of winter where I spent half a day riding around my boss's bicycle in lower Manhattan looking for a store that had coconuts in stock, which I found on 14th street. (laughs) And then in the freezing cold, uh, on his roof, like kind of in the doorway to the stairwell, I painted those gold, those (laughs) coconuts gold, uh, for the purpose of like dropping them in front of a camera so we could get images of them splitting open, uh, to interlace with a like million dollar uh gold animatronic monkey clock <laughs> thing oh we shooting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we we've had um, a bunch of similar really silly experiences trying to get photographic be real, if you will, for uh. Oh campaigns. yeah. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, good. So you said um, this period of transition from film to digital, you were also making a career transition, moving back to Maryland, maybe starting a couple other businesses, maybe involving uh, sewing or some other things. Can um, yeah. you tell us a little bit about that, and if it had much to do with the uh, sort of transition to digital in the industry, or if it was coincidental and just you know timing of your life?
2: It was kind of interesting. Um, I, you know, I actually, um, I think the tr- digital transition really happened around uh, just just after 9-11. Um, I think that's where we started to see editors, uh, you know, editorial budgets dropping, advertising budgets dropping, people aren't flying or traveling anywhere. Um, so editors were just shooting stuff on their cell phone and, you know, ordering room service (laughs) so that that transition um uh maybe three years i started to see uh assistants drop off the map drop off the map leave new york move home that kind of thing um so it was uh interesting to survive that uh or they were transitioning into digital teching, which became like was super lucrative at the time because if you had skills on the computer you know most of your um Joe photographers out there didn't really, you know, they are already established as film guys. They didn't really have uh, the edge on the the uh, digital photography as the younger guys did. So um, there was an interesting thing there. So that kind of um, pushed me into a really unique situation where I was uh, I specialized in film and exotic film variety like uh, systems. So um, if there is a lot of assistance after that initial transition that did not know how to operate a four by five system or an eight by ten system or um, even like a Pentax six seven at that point, they had solely worked on, um, you know, uh, digital stuff. So there's a good couple of years in there where kids are getting out of college with a high understanding of digital tech and they're applying that and creating this new space. Um, so I kept a good career there for a while where I had a lot of assistant work and I was starting to get some shooting jobs because I again could run film and uh there were certain people and uh magazines and things like that that were still uh ingrained in this film uh business, so no pun intended um so um after that uh my you know at the same time so uh, Graham and I were just talking a little bit before we got started here. Uh, he was asking me about SoLab, and I was bringing him up to date on that. Um, so pre-dating SoLab, I started a business called Holdfast, um, which has now snowballed into SoLab and some other projects that we're working on. But uh, Holdfast, um, our website's holdfastordie.com. Uh, it's a foot retention system for bicycles. So um, the last couple of years, I was in New York. Um, uh well actually my whole life in new york all all i did was ride a bike everywhere that was my primary mode of transportation and over the years just destroyed stuff and again my habit of having to make things better um i developed a uh, foot retention strap that holds your foot to a pedal so um, it's basically taking if you're familiar with um, bicycle pedals and um, Uh, how they normally attach to your foot you got a couple options you got a shoe with a cleat that kind of connects in uh, and you're locked into your pedal Uh, you could have a thin uh, leather strap with a metal cage over the front or a plastic cage over the front that you slip your foot into Uh, you know that's like 1800s technology there what we did is we came up with a two-inch wide seatbelt webbing strap that's adjustable with Velcro uh, and can integrate with just about any pedal. 2009 being um, the year of the blog, uh, we got a lot of coverage from one of, our, one of uh, my friends in New York uh, who had a pretty big following. Uh, and that kind of one thing led into another before i started making these in my closet on my own sewing machine right and then uh, eventually i had to hire a company to help make them uh just because the demand was so high and then um and then uh eventually we copied the equipment and in that time i'm moving down to maryland my uh at the time fiance now my wife of uh 11 years um she uh She and I were looking to move down here to be closer to my family, and uh, Baltimore had some pretty decent real estate prices or uh, rent prices in terms of building out a manufacturing facility. And at the time, I knew Baltimore had a sewing history. Uh, When I was a kid, there were definitely factories there and that people were working in. Uh, Little did I know that all disappeared to kind of a skeleton, but that's actually kind of a trend across the country too so bigger bigger thing but um so so that transition you know in that time i was going back and forth from uh here to new york or flying out of baltimore to go on jobs in puerto rico or wherever uh Florida, wherever we were needed um so that kept the income going while i transitioned and eventually my um well hold fast was paying my bills and um I just made the full transition um, there. There's also a a little bit of burnout. The end of that 10 year span working in a commercial photography setting, you know, you realize how shallow the industry is. Sorry if that offends any of you, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I was coming home from these jobs, like really cool jobs, uh, you know, Traveling all over the place, uh, working with really amazing photographers, it's, I wasn't getting fulfillment out of it, and it really just burned me out. And I didn't want to pick up a camera after, you know, after doing it all day. Uh, it, it became exhausting, you know, yeah, making other people's images.
1: In about two thousand six, I remember um, I actually loved that assistant job that I had, but I also, you know. <clears throat> Maybe this was a bit before 06, but I spent a lot of time taking pictures for, you know, I had like 20 different jobs and I realized like after the year I had made $7,000 and lived on my mom's couch and uh, I didn't take one picture that I loved and I was like, oh, it's time to time to go back to school, <laughs> do something else. Like if I was a writer, holding a pencil would not uh, float my boat, but it um, somehow led us both back to building cameras, which I would like to talk about more in the next segment. Um, I think we're going to take a quick break, which will be a very quick break on uh, on the podcast and a longer break if you're watching live on YouTube. Um, and then we're going to come back and talk to Jeremiah about kind um, of your first cameras that you've built um, as an adult, like past... just the oatmeal box pinhole camera and then then hopefully we can work our way through them and see some examples so if you're watching live stick around if you are uh listening on the podcast uh we'll be back in 30 seconds we're back okay so we left off uh talking about jeremiah's career in uh photography in new york and sort of where he came from and uh, making a transition to full-time sewing things and, and manufacturing things in uh, Maryland. I'm a real fan of small manufacturing, as some of you know. Uh, but now I'm let's... a huge fan of bags, so <laughs> <laughs> we will get into them. But let's let's get to cameras. This is the the yeah. meat of this thing. Um, Jeremiah, you said that you um, have been building cameras kind of forever, so I suspect you don't have your original oatmeal can to show us, but. When you got to Maryland or when you started... I mean, you're building some real serious cameras now. Um, Maybe let's start it. What was your first serious camera or a less serious camera that that led you to it?
2: Um, Okay. So uh, I've been collecting parts for this one build for a long, long time. Um, I probably 2003... um, I found a lens. Um, okay, I'll back up a bit. Um, I had a good friend that worked at B and H New York days. Um, he would call me anytime something cool came in. He's like, "You got to come check this out. You're gonna love it." Um, he was there... your dealer, man. Was, yeah, was he was, he was the, my uh, dealer.
1: Was he the used desk?
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I love that section. <laughs> yep. Um.
2: Uh. So he. Um, he called me one day and he's like, "You got to come check this out." So I go in and he shows me this camera uh, that was built by Thomas Roma. Uh, I've heard you mention his name before. Oh yeah, too.
1: I've met Tom Roma. Oh,
4: oh yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, we, we we don't have to go into too much detail about him. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of mixed mixed feelings there, yeah. but um, uh, I can argue the fact that he is a uh, brilliant camera builder. Um, so you know, I saw him at Mia Press. Uh, roll film back, a uh, Mamiya Press lens, a big uh, viewfinder on it. And was uh, this one it, of
1: the original Cyclops cameras? Yeah, it was awesome.
2: Um, it was an early Cyclops. I had, um, you know, the machined aluminum and um, real clunky, but um, really simple. Uh, and at that time, um, you know, I, I have this habit of big. You know climbing this I got this bell curve of technology that I follow where I like I get into something I you know I follow it to the top of its coolest tech and then I strip it all down to its simplest form and that's kind of where I like to exist at the end. So um, you know seeing his camera kind of inspired me I was like this is insane you know. Um, so my buddy Keith who was working there he would. Uh call me anytime something cool came in he's like hey there's a six by nine press back here with your name on it so i'd come in and scoop that up and then a a lens would pop up and i'd go in and scoop that up and uh you know eventually those things just got shelved when we moved from new york to maryland everything got packed up and um you know again i was kind of coming off of that um just being burned out on the uh, commercial photo industry that I, I wasn't really looking at a camera. We, uh, I was mostly just focusing on uh, home and building a family and that kind of thing. So I'm uh, building a business that was the, the, big, um, the big piece. So um, after about three years, I started to get really like creatively frustrated. I didn't have much of an outlet. Um, you know, I was seeing things that I would, you know, I'd take a picture with my phone and I'd be like, this is just not satisfying at all. I'm not going to look at it ever again. I had a couple digital cameras I picked up over the years, but nothing really like crazy fancy. But I, again, I was just never satisfied with the file. It was just missing a tactile quality that I I kind of needed. Um so I was like, you know what? I got those parts in there. I'm just, I'm going to start building. I've got, you know, I've got, a, you know, most of a wood shop outside. I've got, you know, I've got some skills that I didn't have back then. Uh, I'm going to dive in and see what I come up with. Um, I also uh, way into uh, instant film at the time. Like when I was, you know, half of that time in New York, I had an SX-70 with me all the time. The, the time zero film was like at B it was seven bucks for 10 sheets, which now, which it's seemed like, expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I buy a case and it was like five bucks a box. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, but now now I'm, if you,
3: if you can get it for $7 a sheet now,
2: Oh, that you're doing awesome. good. Yeah. You're doing good. <laughs> crazy. And you're lucky if all those come out as, uh, decent images um so yeah when when time zero left um when they said they announced they were discontinuing it i my heart was broken i was like oh this is just awful i uh i was in the middle of a a project where i was basically i had a camera with me everywhere and anytime i saw something that resembled a heart whether it was a gum on the sidewalk or you know spray paint or you know a leaf or whatever. I started to collect these hearts, um, and uh, I have like uh, maybe 180 of them now. But um, I really wanted that project to continue to a thousand. It's kind of a, a passion project. Um, a um, if you're familiar with the Japanese tradition of a thousand paper cranes, um, it's uh, i kind of based it off of that um, mm-hmm. uh so kind of but yeah it was, it was really sad to see the time zero disappear uh it went like the prices skyrocketed instantly um
4: mm-hmm. and,
2: and um so you know fast forward a few years i get over that um i'm here in maryland uh i'm board uh, I've got some tools I got a lens I got a film back I got some other stuff laying around uh, I'm gonna build the camera I wanted to build which was a um, Polaroid pack film um, with uh, the I had a uh, Polaroid 600SE 75 mil lens that's the lens I sent you Ethan um, uh, I I had that lens and I took an old, um, Polaroid, uh, 100 series land camera. Uh, mm-hmm. one that has a Zeiss icon. Um, you flea market style, these things, I yeah. won't show all the details of this thing yet, but, um,
4: <laughs>
2: took, uh, took one of those apart. Um, you know, I went to my local camera shop, um, service photo, Checked in with them. I was like, "Oh yeah, there's like a whole stack of FP100C sitting on the shelf. We're good. I'm gonna build this. Uh, so I built it over a weekend. Uh, you know, I don't have it unfortunately. I, I've uh, since reappropriated all the parts to it and turned it into something something else, which wow. I'll show you in a bit. Um, but uh, I. I built it, I cobbled it together. It, it, um, I had to make my own uh, lens board and bayonet mount, which I ended up using a couple, uh, like a piece of sheet aluminum and then like a um, a uh, aluminum ring, uh, spacer ring from like a, a router table. And I used that and I have file and I made my own bayonet mount and lugged it on there and um, got my focal plane distance set uh, I made a, um, I cut down a four by five ground glass that I had laying around from an old uh, rotted out Graflex, best parts harvest you could ever ask for. <laughs> um, uh, so I got it together. I'm like, sweet, we're ready to go. Uh, Monday morning, I go to the um, service photo uh, to buy some uh, packs of uh, the FP100C to run some tests. And it's I'm
3: Oh yeah, I was gonna He's say like, I'm seeing it coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh
2: gosh, I'm like, what happened? He's like, you didn't hear? Oh, <sighs> same, like, same heart palpitation from the um, time zero film. I'm like, oh, no, yeah. Like the the rage, you could just see the thermometer uh. building up. Like, oh.
4: This
3: is this is when um, the uh, Marilyn Manson's absolute best lyrical. Moment ever, and that was I wasn't born with enough middle fingers <laughs> at that point. That you did not have enough pointed at Polaroid and, and the world for doing it right then.
2: Oh my god, I wrote so many, or notes. I guess
3: actually, it's not Polaroid at that point, it's Fuji,
2: isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I wrote them so many angry letters <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you're doing this, you're you know, exiling uh, a whole community. It was uh, heartbreaking to say the least. So like I managed to find a few packs. I think I, I found it on Amazon for like $21 for 10 sheets. And before it skyrocketed to mm-hmm. like what it is now, which is like 75 to a hundred dollars for a 10 pack. If you can find it. It's...
3: Uh, I sold two packs, um, at Christmas time for 85 bucks a pack. Oh my and, God. And, um, Uh, that was, I've turned that into a Chamonix 4x5 partly, you know, I mean
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sitting on a few I'm tempted to uh, What did you do about this? Did you just forward some film and go on and shoot with it? Did you modify the camera? Did you build another camera? Oh, I was on fire at that point I was like, I
2: gotta have I need an instant film camera um, that has full manual controls, like I don't need anything fancy. I don't need autofocus. I don't need any aperture priority crap. I don't need any of that. I just want full manual. Um, So I did some research, uh, a lot of research, and found that um, the Instax film uh, probably wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, Lomo had um, come out with their Bel Air camera, and they made Uh an Instax back for that i was like okay that's a good place to start it was like a hundred bucks then is that an instax wide back on the beller yeah. yeah okay instax wide um nowadays you couldn't find that for less than 600 bucks and when it pops up for 600 bucks on ebay it's gone like mm-hmm. people just snatch those up and to be honest it's not like a very well-built piece of equipment it's a lot of plastic parts like eventually that winding knob going to crack off. But, yeah. um, you know, I, so I found that and I was like, all right, I'm going to need a lens um, and just started tinkering, kind of, you know, basing the idea off of the last build and how that went together, which I used basically stacked layers of plywood um, that I jigsawed, you know, into, into my shape to make my camera box
4: uh, nice. and
2: then ran bolts through all of that, which tied it to the
4: oh.
2: Polaroid 100 back. I love that held, book. Held the lens board on and the uh, lens and everything, and it worked really simple.
1: Hey, hey, do you happen to have that one with you for uh, the YouTube viewers and me? I do not have... <laughs> yeah.
4: um, or a picture no. of it?
1: Um,
2: yeah, I, must, I have to have a picture of it. It's probably on my Instagram. Uh, okay definitely on my Instagram in the earlier section we can I'll uh, I'll take a look through that. Okay. Um, uh, I did dismantle that and those, those parts got, uh, cobbled into something else. But, um, I, you know, from that, I learned a lot and that influenced my next build in terms of, uh, weight. And, um, so I bought that in stacks back, uh, and then I used that to, um, and we can. Oh, you know what? I'll go into the build pictures first. Right, let me. Uh,
1: so. Uh, while you're doing that, you said you bought that Instax back. You mean the Bel Air to strip the back off of? Yep. Uh, well,
2: actually, you could just uh, buy directly from uh, from Lomo. They'll sell you uh, the back itself. All right, bear with me here. That's uh,
3: oh, okay,
2: I found it. I was just about to
0: do uh, but anyway, uh, go on with what you've got. Okay, hold on here. Uh,
2: what let's see, why don't you go ahead? Uh, okay, I got it. It's gonna take me a second to find it.
1: Yeah.
0: Ram, there the we future? go. Oh, you guys
3: seen it? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Is, this this one. is it, right? This is what yes, we're talking this about? This is
2: the Instax one. So they're. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly.
3: Oh, so there's some really beautiful woodworking and finishing
1: <clears> and.
3: <throat> leather um handle strap um uh and it looks like some paracord.
2: <laughs> oh yeah is... that's uh my um for, uh, shoulder strap
3: yeah okay <laughs> so this was um uh if you go to um uh the sunny sixteen underscore photo on um uh instagram does this it says you're in sweden at this yeah
2: point. yep so that's um my wife's family is actually from sweden okay that so we were visiting her brothers and of course i dragged a handful of cameras i made with me
4: yeah 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 um, okay cool
2: all right so i got these pictures pulled up yeah. so...
0: Do this a different way
2: Alright, you guys seeing that?
1: Yes mm-hmm. Oh wow yep.
2: So that's the the handle Fabrication uh, This is all uh, Black walnut Okay So
3: he's got um, A bellows extension Kind of like um, The uh, chroma camera snapshot um, And uh, it looks like are, are those drawer poles out at the front? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Well, I mean, built-in
2: handles. Built-in oh, yeah. handles. <laughs> lens, lens bumper too. So Oh
4: know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Um it was uh, you know, I, I was inspired by some of the like the the Fuji yep. GX 690 or whatever it's yeah. called. Um So, yeah, you can see some of the build pictures there. Um, What's the lens on that? That is, so uh, it's a
0: Vascar. Come back to this. Okay.
2: All right, so I got it right here. We've gone through a few lenses. Um, Oh, yeah. This is the, it's a Voigtlander 6x9 lens. Okay. Again, I just kind of stalk eBay and Etsy, looking for, uh, you know, old cameras that, um, you know, are worth chopping the lens off and.
1: Mm-hmm. And hey, be- it into something. before we get way down the lens path, uh, it looks like. I mean, did you build the wooden part of that camera, which is very impressive woodwork? Um, did you just? hand carve or use a router table and sandpaper or i mean how do you how does one get curves like that without a cnc machine <laughs> okay so
3: um for those of you listening on the podcast think of the wood handle uh for a uh, pentax six seven
1: yeah but much um, nicer and there. curved to fit a hand and walnut <laughs> yeah.
2: so um i use uh uh a uh what do you call a rotary sander um it has a you know a rod that goes up and down um mm-hmm. spinning really fast uh and it comes with different sizes and uh you know i just spent you know i did some rough cuts with uh a saw uh, and kind of roughed in the shape felt it a little bit and just kind of worked mm-hmm. it down until i had something that was really comfortable solid grip uh easy mm-hmm. to hold on to and then the leather strap i added later uh, extra thing. Mm-hmm. It's I, uh,
1: very uh like high quality build, right? Looks mm-hmm. super professional. Way
3: way higher quality than we normally have. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you can see here I had to um I used a table saw to you know profile the back so that it uh joined mm-hmm. with the um uh the Bel Air back cleanly. Mm-hmm. Um don't remember if I got yeah, I got filming this now. Um this is definitely the weak part right here. Um, mm-hmm. I am definitely afraid that this is going to snap off one day. Um, you know, bouncing around in a camera bag. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's. I love this camera. It's super light. It's really easy to work with. I've shot weddings with it. I've shot events with it. All sorts of stuff. Um, it's it's my favorite. It's actually about due for an update. I got a new lens for it. In the in the near future, I'm going to put a uh, Connie Omega uh, 60 millimeter wide angle lens from their um, uh, their Rapid series. Yeah, this ugly duckling
0: here.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm well so, acquainted with those. Yeah, world's, I mean, world's ugliest camera.
2: It re- it really is. It's it's. Mm-hmm um
3: it's definitely you know, like, a, it's definitely a volvo 240 wagon uh, <laughs> of oh, cameras 240.
2: Yeah. totally a brick totally a brick <laughs> um yeah you know i feel pretty safe with that in baltimore uh one no one's going to be able to take it away from me and two if you had to swing it it's a heavy instrument <laughs> yeah. and you
1: Absolutely.
2: wouldn't hurt the camera at all mm-hmm. <laughs> Um. So, uh, so yeah, the Instax, uh, build, I call that the Instax wide Lux. Uh, I think that's what I have a hashtag as, um, Instagram. Um, uh, it's, um, it's about due for an update, but it really is, has been my, my favorite camera. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, so, you know, that kind of got the gears rolling again, created something nice. Can
1: I, can I stop you and ask what? what yeah. year was that camera i mean it sounds like it gets updates over the years but what year was it that you sort of finished the build the first time and started using it
2: oh uh, let's see um
1: approximate date just for timeline think.
2: yeah uh maybe 2016
1: got you okay, okay.
3: I was going to say the date on the um, uh, on the Instagram in Sweden was twenty seventeen, June yeah. of twenty seventeen. Yeah, so twenty
2: sixteen, then. Okay, yeah, so okay, that's about right. Um, if you look on the Instagram feed too, you'll actually see uh, preceding the images that you're showing um, before you'll see some uh, some the evolution of the build a bit. You'll see a different lens on there. Um, you'll see uh, different wood. Um, Lego. Yeah, oh yeah, the Lego (laughs) camera that um, worked amazingly well. The images from that really turned out well. Um, uh, You know, uh, I love building camera obscuras too. Those are fun. There's a Lego Mm -hmm. camera obscura there as well. Um, But, uh, you know, after that, it's been like, I got some parts laying around. Let's see what I can cobble together this weekend. Or, maybe i'll set a more specific goal you know like everybody i want a handheld four by five but um you know with what ethan makes and uh, stuff out there it's almost no point to do that anymore because the 3d printing that has just revolutionized what we you know the the kind of craft work that we're doing
0: just
3: because it's been done elsewhere doesn't mean that you don't get to (laughs) do it
1: yourself that's true, that's yeah, true. Hey man, I'd, I mean, I'd I'm... love to sell you a camera, but I'd also much more love to see the camera that you build. <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm it's not gonna you stop me. My store. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: um, if you go back uh, far enough, you get to see the black tape version of it as yeah. well, yeah. Um, which is way more my speed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's still a lot of tape on some of these things. Um So, let's see, after that, I built, um, I was like, all right, I need a film counterpart to that. Uh, And, again, this was like a a combination of an old Graflex uh, camera, a Memia press camera um, (laughs) that I picked up. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, basically... I love the
1: added bolt flanges where you just drilled through the front of a Memia press. (laughs)
2: Yeah, why not?
1: Uh, it uh, looks uh, so uh, solid and and like it's designed like that. I just know that those yeah. are drill holes because I know that camera. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs>
3: um. Oh, also, it looks like you're using bellows for extensions. Um. And so, are you building these bellows yourself? Or are you scavenging them? Scavenging them?
2: Uh. In this, no, I haven't. Um. I haven't built any bellows myself. That's definitely mm-hmm. on the list. Um, Those I look use like them... the
1: Mamiya press bellows scavenged out of a Mamiya press body.
2: Yeah, that's exactly
1: <laughs> it. And they just run through the plywood. But it,
2: it allows like micro tuning. So if you don't get it, if you don't get your spacing right on the first time. You know, I can tune it. Um, and you can also kind of tweak and get a little bit of shift out of it if you're yeah. um, if you set your focus ground glass.
1: This camera is so cool.
2: Uh-huh. Um, you can really see the plywood build.
1: Uh huh. It, yeah, it doesn't
3: quite have the cachet of the uh, walnut, but no. yeah, no. I mean, these
1: are. I mean, these are the cameras that I saw that I was like, okay, we we got to talk. I mean, you know, I build a couple hundred homunculuses in a year, but like this is this is sort of next level. I'm sure it takes you weeks and weeks to build something like this figure out how the one-off parts fit together but i mean that is i mean simpler than the black walnut camera but beautiful in its own right really they solid go through,
4: looking
2: they go through their own evolutions you know this one will probably get updates in a few years i'll come up with a, a new wave you know for,
3: for those of you watching on video i'm going to uh, share again and uh, we see this unbuilt are um unfinished um so let's see uh as it presents are you guys seeing yep, we're on. yeah there we go so this is this is it without the bellows with the drill holes
4: um, so it's grip.
3: kind of a, a behind the scenes look um, yeah so it's the rough um, cut
2: a kind of always evolving process so yeah. this was like the first mock-up and then um, I had to make some changes the The wood component was too thick for the center board ah. and um you know, it kind of changed you can see the uh Graflex back hiding back there um, and the hey, old
1: let, let me ask you about this so I mean, we build i would say functionally very similar cameras. I might rather have one of your beautiful wooden cameras um but you know they're sort of Mamiya Press cameras that take uh, some form of a Graflex back, which I'm pretty into, which actually came mostly from um, you know, Nick Lyle poking me to build those guys, but um, I noticed on that last picture Graham was showing, the camera that you have now had two grips. Um, Nick was pushing me and pushing me on the homunculus to make a left-handed grip and, you know, I put a month and a half, two months worth of work into that thing. And I was like, Nick, I'm not going to be able to sell it with a left-handed grip. I want a right-handed grip. And he was like, no, it's stupid. This lens is designed to be operated with your right hand. And so, you know, I wound up with a compromise of a grip that you could swap from side to side with, you know, two screws. Um, And then, you know, I started selling them with two grips to people who just thought that was like, uh, my my friend Han uh, got one. And he was like, yo, give me another grip. That's gangster style. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like got two little fists sticking out of it. Which looks cool. I think is kind of impractical, but um uh, a bunch of people have bought it that way. But I, I want to know, you know, you designed, you know, extremely similar camera uh and went from two grips to one grip. What was what was in there?
3: And I'm going to say two grips would once again uh have a lens guard uh effect on it. Yeah. So
0: which um, has value. Okay.
2: Anyway. I I uh again I follow that bell curve of complexity and over engineering back down to simplicity. And I think um, you know, I when I did this one, I, I really you know kind of more or less, you know, you're in situations where you're backed into a corner and you have to rotate and hold the camera with the other hand, that kind of thing. Um I had the grip there. I do like um, symmetry, um, but it also made the camera really bulky, and, um, you know, if it's kind of a thing that you're going to, if you're, you know, carrying it a lot, it just hangs out there, um, but if it's doing another job, you know, that makes a lot of sense, where it's acting as a lens bumper as well, That that is smart engineering, um, where anywhere you can make one thing do the job of two or more, that's just... That's good engineering.
1: The Alton Brown kitchen tool philosophy.
2: <laughs> uh yep, I my wife would be laughing her head off right now if heard, she heard you say that. I say it all the time.
1: Um okay, so what what came next after after the uh roll film camera? Um after that,
2: uh let's see. Uh Let's see. Uh, oh, you know, I saw you guys, your, um, uh, interview with, uh, watch me make
4: I'm
2: forgetting, mm-hmm. forgetting his name right now. But, um, yeah, yeah. I love his cameras. Oh my God. They're, they're gorgeous. Been following him on Instagram for a while. And he um,
3: posted one this week and I went, Oh, want, want.
2: Yeah, I, saw, I saw that. <laughs> I, saw that. I, I think I left a comment. I was like, we should trade sometime. <laughs> um, So I, you know, those, oh, okay. So yeah, I did end up shelving um, some cameras for a while. I was, you know, I was shooting with them, but I wasn't really building anything. I was uh, heavy work and that kind of thing, um, kind of take over and working on Volvo's and other hobbies kind of take turns, you know, as they go through, but I always come back to it. I'm looking for new ways to build things, new materials to explore. Um, you know, what's a good way to make a lens cone? That's like, you know, again, I look at 3D printing, I'm like, holy crap, you just Mm -hmm. draw it out and hit go. That's incredible. You know, I'm I'm used to like carving it, uh shaping it out of plywood, then sanding it and gluing it all together and
3: and then finding it out finding out it's too long and then you have to
2: (laughs) to file it down, start again, rook it and you gotta like sand off a corner. Yeah. So Mm You know, there's you know, a lot of handwork that goes into the, the cameras that I build, but there's also a lot of um, trial and error around it. So there's a lot of natural evolution uh, and process exploration and materials and that kind of thing. So I uh, pulled a old um, three lens stereo camera uh, out of a bin of junk uh, camera oh, awesome and then um i was like all right i got a day to build this i need a lens so i found an old six by six uh folding camera lens uh this is all a- right i have
1: no idea what that nose cone is it looks almost 3d printed but this texture is not so that's um wait hold on hold on don't tell us graham what do you think this part is i i think it's magic
3: um yeah no, um <laughs> It, it looks like it could be um, a painted hammered steel is what it could be. Um, it's a flared you know, cone, um, and I do not know what it is.
1: I, th- so, I think it's, it's oh. maybe part of a doorknob or like an oh. exhaust system, maybe? For oh, that car? could be
3: something, something like that. <laughs> it does look like it could be like... Um, uh, Plasti Dip spray finish. Uh,
1: looks, um, I think there there's some metal in there, but I don't think we're coming close. So Jeremiah, what are you? Yeah. What are you tell us? Uh, the the most amazing part about this whole camera is it's like, you know, we're looking at um, you know, like a five dollar Nimslo knockoff and a uh old uh-huh. folding camera lens and between oh, oh wow with, with with a Lego finder
4: wow. with a Lego
1: finder mount.
4: Loma, it's a
2: Lomo finder with a cold shoe glued to some Lego bricks. And there we I, go. You know, transition from to my various Lego builds.
1: You know, yeah. I I have talked to a lot of people, and there's like this joke where engineering is just building adapters. Um, and and this is this is what's interesting to me about this camera is like. What are these adapters and the Lego shoe mount? I, I got to make some plug-in mm-hmm. shoe mounts like that. That's great. <laughs> but what, what is this nose cone?
2: So this um, is, uh, again, materials exploration. What do I have laying around? Um, at my shop, you know, we build a lot of custom bags and custom cases. Um, sometimes we have to use rigid plastics. and Heated PVC. Them. It's um, no nope. oh. ABS. <laughs>
3: abs okay
2: um uh so you know basic thermoplastic uh we get it in sheet form um we usually have a water jetted to a specific shape and then we'll have a we have special um
4: vacuum uh form.
2: no uh well almost i i don't quite have a setup for vacuum forming but what we do is uh and our shapes generally don't have to be that complex we just have like a linear heating element in a piece of extruded aluminum that has a water pump running through it to keep, uh, keep the element cool enough. Um, but it only heats like a thin line so we can heat up acrylic bender. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. So you can just bend it. Uh, so we, we make, uh, we'll jig up, uh, like.
1: Okay. But this nose cone that we're looking at is a three dimensional, you know, flowing curve. (laughs) (laughs) That's not possible. so how I did that was
2: I, uh, I was like, this stuff is really interesting. You know, I, I played with a heat gun. I heated it up, stretched it. You can, you can really move it around. So um, I made a plywood form that was rough. or like a, um, It wasn't quite the shape of the, the curve here. This curve formed naturally. But I had a, um, uh, a plywood plate that had a hole in it about the size of this ellipse right here and then I had a a metal um, it's it's a a base that we use for uh, putting rivets in things it's like a big two and a half inch long metal uh, die now that just happened to be um, about the same size as my focal length for this lens so uh, I heated up the ABS sheet that I had uh, in the middle so the edges were still solid, but the middle was really soft. Uh, stretched it, placed it over the metal form, and then I took my plywood piece, centered it over it, and pushed it down, and within 30 seconds, it was cooled to the touch and uh, formed to that. And I just had to basically cut it out, cut my lens hole in, um, and, uh, and I, I did a little bit of sanding on the back to dial in the focal length. But that was pretty much it. Um, I have pictures from this. Let's see.
1: Give me a second to bring them up. For those of you who are listening, we're just taking a second to go uh, some of Jeremiah's uh, Process photos from slumping abs i don't know this while you're doing it it's making me think like man i have a thousand pounds of acrylic here maybe 500 pounds and i i did just buy a new heat gun for desoldering electrical components maybe i should uh start making clay molds and slumping acrylic or abs to shape
3: i <laughs> uh, yeah i know a guy who does a lot of uh he's a he's a fisherman and uh he does a lot uh and he fishes on a kayak so he makes a lot of the equipment uh himself out of flat pvc and all he does is you know he buys a a sheet of pvc or or he buys a pvc pipe um cuts it heats it flattens it and then starts i hope he's doing that
1: outside with a respirator (laughs) you is real nasty to heat up
3: but, but, the, um, but I've used that a couple of times. I have a PVC fence that um, a tree limb fell on and broke the top rail on. And so I did the same thing and just folded over a piece. And, um, uh, and there's something to be said for that. Okay, so what are we, what are we looking at here?
2: All right, so this is uh, in my, my first round of images from the camera I was just showing.
3: I think you had a light leak.
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> this is my daughter uh this so this we'll we'll go through the whole roll here, but uh-huh. uh yeah, definitely some fogging um but i I've gone back in and since sealed it up uh, mm-hmm. but got some really interesting images.
1: Uh... hey, Jeremiah, can you uh pull the uh window just a little to the left so we can full frame yeah. oh, other way, nope, other way, other way. It's your right.
0: There we go. Nope.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, all right. You gotta make it a little on. smaller <laughs> just for,
1: for Oh no, I got this. I got this. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Perfect. Perfect. That size. Alright, so yeah. we're we're looking at some nice uh moody, misty panoramic shots mm. out of this homemade camera.
2: Yeah, so you'll see some of the, um, you know, vignetting in the corners. I,
1: yeah.
2: uh, On the inside of the body, there is uh, components that are supporting the film traveling system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't really chop those out. So what I'm going to have to do is go in and mask them, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. Although I kind of like the kind of voyeuristic... Yeah. I, I I love those, uh,
3: simply because that's uh, the fingerprint of a camera, right? Um, yeah, and you know,
1: you know, sometimes I see the notches on a square photo, and I know it's a Hasselblad, right? <laughs> um, right. But this one looks like everything was shot out the back window of a car because that yeah. sort of bottom vignette to me looks like the back seat of a car out of focus. Really? These are great. I like that.
2: um yeah so this was like a one-day build yeah
0: it was, uh, okay so what's the
3: um so this is um uh 24 by 72 24 by no it's a little bit more 24 by 56 maybe
2: yeah um, something like that uh I, I actually haven't really uh measured it um, yeah
3: that's why so so the lens on this, is this the 6x9 um, uh, l- lens, or did you say what lens was on
2: there? It's a, it's a I would think, a Wera. No, no uh, uh-huh. Inaworks, um Enor 75 off of a 6x6 six six, um, okay. folding camera. Um, so it's a,
3: a 75. So it's um, probably side to side, it's what we would consider a normal view but top to bottom it's um uh it's going to be cropped it's going to be a narrower it's going to be a longer view a narrower field of view yeah um so uh, a lot of those uh can go very very wide very very quickly and um and i think that that has and you get barreled you know distortion and stuff stuff like that i yeah. certainly saw in the out-of-focus areas, uh, kind of a a curved swirl, kind of a petzival kind of swirl in the the bokeh. Um, And so I think that that has a real interesting effect. But once again, you know, one of my things always with building a camera is don't build a camera that you can buy. Uh, built uh, build a camera that's something else and by the way when i say that you can buy because most of us cannot buy uh, an x-pan um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, it, it, uh, that that's a lot of fun um uh, I, I love it. Um, one of the things I like about it also is kind of the you know the the lo-fi effect of it. Um, it's not pristine. Um, you know, what I was talking about with the fingerprints of the camera, you know, the edge masking on, on the camera. Um, it, it has, um, it has that feel of it's yours. It's not anybody else's, you know, this, there's only one person who can take that camera or take a, that picture. And it's whoever's holding that camera, you know? So,
2: yeah. And I, I think that's part of my issue with, um, digital photography is just the general sterility of it you know Mm -hmm. it's uh and lack of tangibility you know i I love being able to hold those things in my hand you know having a polaroid to look at and judge the light on having uh, yeah you know and and also there's something to be said for that anticipation while you're waiting for that film it really builds it up so you want to see them if or
3: or the way I always think of it is how many encounters do you have with every frame? So you have the encounter of loading the film, you have the encounter of taking the picture, you have the encounter of developing the film, you have the encounter of scanning it, you have the, um, or printing. Um, and then you have the encounter of um, uh, of processing in Photoshop if you do the digital end of it. Yep. Um, so you're, every, photo we we touch it more times um with that um you know you're you're talking about the sterility of of digital and one of the things that I've really been I, I teach a um community college photography class it's the only photography class that's that's there um that's on the books at the school and i Teach, you know, I teach the exposure triangle and, you know, what does shutter speed do and what does aperture do? I barely touch on what ISO does because, you know, if you're at 12,800 ISO on a camera that's been built in the last five years, you can't tell, you know, because it looks like 100 ISO from, you know, uh, a while back. And the other thing is if they leave it on automatic and as long as they're not doing something like shooting somebody who's standing in front of a window, um, it's gonna get the right exposure. And I almost, I question myself every time I teach exposure whether I need to anymore. You know, like um, when I learned photography um, in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have to coat our plates. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, there's, and I'm just wondering. You know, uh, I I I still teach it, but I debate it every time because it is such a minor factor. Uh, I have an iPhone twelve that has that night shot feature. That's um, that's crazy. And you press it, and it and it exposes for five seconds, and you get a still image that as long as you're not moving the camera much gives you a fabulous image. I uh I'll I'll quit on that tie right tie right it, <laughs> it is, is pretty remarkable. Yeah uh remarkable. so so we do we build these cameras to look different you know to yep. to make that to have, different image
2: to have character to have like um you know in, in some ways the camera's kind of I'm building an extension of myself you know like uh, yeah. you know Nick would love this like a blacksmith always builds his own tongs. You know, I it. I think that that's like a, a really interesting tradecraft element. And I think when you have your own camera that, you know, you operate with daily uh, yeah. or almost daily, you get really, it becomes an extension of you. And, you know, again, sunny 16, when it's ingrained in your brain and you think yeah. that way and you can scale focus that way, you can shoot it faster than a um, autofocus SLR. You just yeah. And know where everything is. You're like the old yeah. um, Leica press guys would set their lens at one f stop and one um, focal length, wrap tape around it. And, you know, they've got three Leicas with three different um, lens settings and lens focal lengths. And they don't change anything. They just pull it up,
1: shoot. Hey, so what you just pulled up to mine, pull it up and shoot, looks to me a lot like a Cyclops.
2: Yeah. So again, kind of evolving all the uh um you know with each evolution of each build i you know refine simplify this is a wood body um if you can hard to see here but uh I painted it uh you know truck bed liner um that was uh gave it a nice like almost hammer tone finish and it really matches Uh the, the rest of the memory. And it's pro black. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You'll note the lovely drawer pool bottom here. Um, you know, that's, you know, grip, you know, easy, something to grab onto. It also has a wrist lanyard for when I'm holding Uh it a lot. Um, it's a Nikon 75 4.5 or Nikkor SW lens. Uh Um, Right there big Paradise wide lens. lens um i had a, a schneider 65 on there uh-huh. f8 but f8 just wasn't enough i needed more
3: so yeah. and and for those uh who are listening along um it has the s curve um uh, mamiya, mamiya press um six by nine or multiple format um uh
4: yeah back. this is a
2: this is a six by nine i have a few six eight or a, no six seven a couple uh-huh. six sevens and um you know they're they're really nice backs they hold the film plane really tight i really really like them um but uh i keep seeing these uh medium format graph lock backs and i really want to get my hands on those i um I have a, a Littman 4x5 single, if you guys are familiar with that camera. Um, I bought one of those um, a long time ago. It's uh, the first um, uh, Polaroid 110-based 4x5 uh, rangefinder camera. Um, guy named William Littman in um, New York builds them. Um, I uh, bought one secondhand from a guy up there. And, actually sent it to uh william Littman and he refurbed it for me and sent it back uh and i did a lot of shooting with that camera um i love the lens i've actually built cameras with the same lens um, we'll get to one of those in a second but uh
0: let's see i uh
2: where's it going with that um I lost my train of thought.
1: It's fine we got we got plenty of cameras to look at, yeah,
2: <laughs> so yeah,
3: and, and so, um one of the things that we wanna really know is, what are you aiming for what's what's coming down the pike what's um what's mixing around in your brain? Um, uh,
2: that's a good question. So I got a couple projects going um. You know, I want to re-lens the Instax wide camera, so okay, I was saying I got that, um, uh, I got a 65 mil lens, it's actually in a Copal uh, Zero shutter uh, mm-hmm. already, um, and uh, I got a helicoid for it and everything, and I'm going to refurb that a little bit, dress mm-hmm. it up, I'm not, probably keep the bellows, I don't know, we'll see how it goes, but it's got a much shorter focal length, like, right really short. So, uh, the lens will be a lot closer to the, uh, film plane. Um, so rehab on that guy. Um, and then, uh, so everyday carry cameras are kind of like, like you were saying earlier, Ethan, I, I do actually have a camera with me pretty much every day, usually some form of Lately, I've been trying to shoot medium format more, but usually it's a 35 mil pocket camera or something like that. I've got a lot of uh, Olympus XA variants and um, Minox and all those little pocket cameras. I really, I love those things. Um, uh, But um, uh, I bought a Lomo LCA 120. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I i've had the lomo lcas for a long time um probably i got my first one in the 90s um uh, back when it was cool to have them yeah back when it shipped (laughs) from russia you had to order it from russia right um and it would come in a paper bag and oh yeah so you know the screws would all rattle out by the end of the month um so uh, you know, I really like the camera. Again, it's scale focus. You've I like the fact that it's um, aperture priority for the most mm-hmm. part. Uh, so I uh, bought the one hundred and twenty, thinking it would be a medium format version of it. It's you know I got that. right up here. Um, it's fun camera. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. It's it's aperture priority. The only thing you have control over is focus, um, mm-hmm. and it's okay. But I I need more control, and this just doesn't offer enough. But the format is really nice. I like shooting mm-hmm. squares. It takes me back to the um, SX seventy days, and I really you know I, I like putting things in squares. Um, it's either in a square or the widest rectangle I can find. Um, So I want to build, you know, Graham, I've been really inspired Mm by a lot of the lens uh, fabrication that you've been doing, the 3D printed elements of it, Um, uh, really getting my gears going. So I've been, I bought some lenses from uh, a surplus shed. Mm -hmm. uh, And I've been tinkering with those, trying to line up, you know, the paper towel tube method and find Mm -hmm. the right focal length and combination and just kind of experimenting, finding, Old defunct lenses around here and pulling elements out of them and trying to mate something up. Um, but the goal is to get a. This will probably be another franken camera, but we'll take a body mm-hmm. like this for 120 film transport and get a nice square, um, right, uh, frame. And then, uh, I want a really low profile lens. I don't want to come out more than, you know, uh, any more than an inch maybe pocket camera
1: but maybe yeah, 2 or gonna... 3 inches for drawer handle bumpers
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> perfect um so those are, those are the things in the future and again I'll be tweaking stuff uh really 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 like this build right here this is uh-huh. uh purpose built I wanted something that was um that had some some tilt to it yeah you can see that okay so, we're so this at
1: here... oh yeah go ahead yeah Graham. no you go we're, we're looking at is this a polaroid 110 a or b body that you have uh chopped up and added uh tilt on the front standard and a uh graphlex 23 back to the back of
2: yep that's it and coupled with the rangefinder so i've got full rangefinder
3: Oh, really? Uh, okay.
2: So we uh, scale focus on there as well. I don't know if you can focus
4: oh, yeah. on that. Very um, nice.
2: So the one thing you have to do is you have to use a ground glass to set your initial focus with the um, tilt. Because I don't know if you've, oh, you know, yeah. sure you guys have used
1: tilt on a yep.
2: camera. You know, it's not i if have I not seen a tilt in-
1: lens with a rangefinder. i guess i mean a crown graphic you could but i mean your one is not supposed to use those two things at the same time <laughs> supposed to but <laughs> i like where you're going here
2: yeah uh we got some pretty good images from it i probably am gonna have to adjust the focus a little bit but not much um yeah. See if I can pull some of those images
3: up. And while he's doing that, um, the, the tilt that we're talking about, he's uh, made a bracket for the f- the lens um, where it looks like it just has down tilt. Am I correct on that? It just tilts down. It doesn't. Yeah, tilt it just up. tilts down.
1: Yeah. Um, so so it tilts up. You just have to turn the camera upside down.
3: Exactly. 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 Um, uh, so uh, it. it it is um you know it's just adding a few more brackets to that camera um including what looked like a a metal uh graph lock back uh or graph lock um uh mount to it
2: yeah actually uh it's kind of hard to show in the on the camera but i'll Mm -hmm. see what i can do it's um Again, more wood, plywood, and I actually sculpt, sculpted the plywood to receive the um, uh, 120 back. So you can really see the the hilt mm-hmm. uh, on this one.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, I assume this a little, was no, a square, or maybe yeah. I was going to say
3: these are square images. Is that a six by six back on there?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a six by six back on there. I have. Okay. Uh, it's it's. Uh, it's got two um, aluminum rails that hold that with nuts on them that hold the the back the film mm-hmm. back on. I have a I just got a Horseman six by nine for this, so that'll be a little oh. more exciting. Um, you could have
3: bought another Volvo for the price of that Horseman back.
2: You know, I got two of them for the for uh, eighty bucks from Japan with like twenty five dollars shipping. That's great. Uh, yeah, that wasn't bad one of them uh, missing a screw but yeah. am i crazy do i not see
3: those for 500 bucks all the time uh, i'm thinking of a oh a, 612? Six a,
2: 612. 12. Yeah. 12. Yeah, a 612 that's 612 yeah. that's what yeah sorry Six twelve. that's that's the big bore. okay
3: never mind i'm sorry
2: you're right i could i could probably get three volvos for that <laughs> um so let's see I think that's the end of the roll there, but yeah. um, a pretty positive test roll. Uh, and I'm excited to get the other. Um...
3: Did you call that a plowbell Did Was that what that folder was called? Blobble, like as Blob. in faux plobble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> um, hey, so I I am – curious about this camera if it will exist one day uh because i i have a little invested in it is um so a while back you had asked me this is how we started talking you had asked me to make um like a mamiya press mount for the 600 se and i said like i have no idea what that flange looks like we kind of went back and forth you actually shipped me that lens and i measured it and i got irate at the polaroid corporation because the flange one took me like hours going back and forth measuring and, and figuring out how to make the flange work. But I was angry, not because it took a long time to figure out, but because the flange was modified from the Mumia press flange and they were, it was done in a way that had no functional sense other than making it hard to mount that thing to any other camera. It was just keyed like, like the the function of a key is to be hard to copy and that that's what that thing was and you know they made so many beautiful lenses that are so annoying now although now i have the file but uh (laughs) i just thought like these guys are being dicks
2: (laughs) yeah that was totally a power move just to you know we don't yeah we want to be exclusive um yeah so that uh again um I had that lens, the first lens I got for my original camera build, which is at um, 75 mil, uh, the 600 SE lens. And that's what we got right here. You can see the
1: the nicest camera I've worked on.
2: (laughs) This is uh, what Ethan made. This thing is so nice. Um, I can just. Pop that lens right off. Um, this build, I'm really happy with. Uh, it was a long time coming, and again, kind of, you know, each build influences the next. And um, yeah, you know, I finally get to use that lens and shoot it on some film. Here's that six by nine back horseman, mm-hmm. uh, and, then and is, this is.
1: Is that a Mamiya Press Finder?
2: Yep, that came with the lens. Cool. Um, uh, I used, uh, American chestnut. I just happened to have a, uh, you know, a small piece of it in my r- ridiculous wood collection. Uh, and, um,
1: The strap lugs are extremely impressive. Look like, uh, some sort of belt and strap hardware.
2: Yeah. So that's, um, uh, gosh i don't even remember what i got it for um i got to get the other one on the other side but in order to do that i have to remove the handle so
4: Uh
2: (laughs) but um you know a different route with the handle this time different contours super comfortable i love this thumb stud it really gives you a nice purchase now you'll note that this one is a left-handed grip sorry ethan
1: no that's fine i mean i'm I'm not opposed to left-handed grips. They don't <laughs> insult me. I just can't sell them <laughs> nearly as much. I love
2: this. Uh, this really, really positive connection on the back and uh, seamless, seamless. Really, wow.
1: Really. Happy with and and world. did you glue and screw those, or just screw?
2: I, I yeah. I used black silicone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> light light leaks. Yeah. I my test actually the first test roll I ran I didn't glue it I just had it, um, uh, screwed in place and um I did have a little bit of a light leak there but I was yeah, kind I of expecting
4: so,
1: um yeah. And hey, Super this good. handle is connected through some like big metal studs. Are those just pieces of pipe around a screw or what's what's yeah, going pieces. on there? <laughs>
2: That's exactly right. It's um you know, you can get like aluminum tubing at the hardware store. I think it was like half inch aluminum tube. These are uh like just brass um hardware store uh bolts. They're like furniture bolts. Mm-hmm. Um very IKEA ish. Uh, mm-hmm. and that'll and, just
1: and so you you said you went a very different way with the handle it's like a very untraditional very comfortable looking shape but was this still done on like a drum sander and then hand sander or pocket knife or how'd you, how'd you get yeah shape? this was very uh,
2: nice. i did this one on a belt sander actually um uh that so there's you don't see the the smaller contours that the uh drum sander reco- was was able uh-huh. to create this was like a large belt sander bench top belt sander and i use that to to contour it um, hey
1: here here's a uh tool question tool tip um have you ever seen a mini belt sander i didn't know that this tool existed until i was making like 100 mongooses and couldn't sand enough um it's like it, or they sometimes call it an electric file it's like a half inch thick belt oh, sander yeah yeah uh, yeah this is one of my new favorite tools i don't think i'm going to get into uh wooden handle carving myself but I think uh that's, that's yeah that one would I'd be like to get perfect into.
2: that would definitely be perfect my neighbor actually has one i go over and use his tools all the time too so um
3: ethan what you need to do is is uh laminate maybe four th- thicknesses of uh, um, uh polycarbonate and then start to
1: shape oh it oh my god
3: i need and to do less sanding
1: that in my banging, life and then <laughs> But yeah, I I um actually just sanded the uh this is a weird pen that had like a weird unuseful clip been belt sanding the clip down very slowly and destroying my sander but that's for the homemade pen podcast. Um, let's sign see, me up yeah. for that one. Yeah. <laughs> are are you a uh, have you made some pens? Um not from <laughs> scratch, but I like I said I modify everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> we got something to talk about on Instagram soon. <laughs> I I for a while was 3D printing pens and um for you know I could take like a 10 cent pen and 50 cents worth of uh 3D printed plastic and hardware and take it apart, destroy the 10 cent pen and make a far worse pen for like $2. <laughs> 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 um Hey, so we've gone through a whole bunch of these cameras. Um, I think it's probably a good time to take a stretch. And then on the last segment, we will uh, wrap up, talk about some of the other things you did, let you plug some things, and take an audience question. Um, Unless there's something we are missing here, how do you guys feel?
2: It sounds good.
1: Yeah, it works for me. Okay, we will be back in five.
4: Okay, and we're back. Um, Ah, yes.
3: That's roll three. Roll three. Come on, roll three. Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, So over the break, Jeremiah was showing us a Lego camera, which I'd like to take a look at briefly. And then we're going to talk about uh, some other things uh, Jeremiah works on professionally, plugs some stuff. And, uh, yeah, what's this Lego camera?
2: Uh, So, again, this is um, kind of very similar to whoop, to this build here right basic box um I had a uh when this ran i had an um it was a 90 mil i think it was a kodak uh four by five lens it came off of a Graflex camera um that did pretty well i had it uh fixed focal length so there' was no um no focus adjustment it was mm-hmm. like I'd shoot it at 22 and get everything I could in focus um but built the body out of Legos uh I had um I I've like, just been on the
3: Lego weg- website and I don't see the six by six <laughs> Lego camera on it um was yeah, this a for limited it, special for edition for
2: <laughs> yeah special edition the multi brick pack you'll know uh-huh. the uh front of the uh Vehicle pack there. <laughs> uh, this is uh, the little hitch brick for uh, oh, oh. like the train set version. Just so happy and, to fit. And here. for those
3: of you listening along, he uses the hitch as the uh, cable release mounts. Um, so.
2: Oh, and then uh, more of the uh, Lego configuration cold shoe mount. <laughs> um, which is super handy, and I have a, a small light meter that I glued a Lego brick to the back of, and I'll just stick it to the top of this, and you're good to go. Um,
0: yeah, I'm uh, I'm swapping the battery.
2: This is the um, another Mamiya S back, uh, and this you can see the well, you can see the tape I used to see <laughs> the light leaks, but. Um, you can see the recess in the brick profile it just perfectly wow. fits that back. And then oh. I have ports here and here, which I ran. Uh, can you guess what I used for that? Um, more drawer pulls and uh, <laughs> hardware store hardware to hold it all together.
1: All right. That's amazing. Did you glue that camera or it's, uh, it's just like uh, spitting a prayer? Yeah, spit in a
2: prayer. Um actually it the reason why it's in pieces my daughter knocked it off the table and it uh, kind of exploded. I was able to mush it back together but it's missing some component. Okay,
3: I'm I'm going to issue a challenge. I think that um uh homemade camera podcasts needs a an allied sister podcast called the Lego Camera Podcast. Oh, and man. we've seen so many of those so somebody needs to uh step up.
2: There's and... some great ones. I will so I'll show you one more Lego camera and then we can move on. Oh, this wow. is camera obscura.
1: Oh that's amazing.
2: So it's geared uh, focus.
3: Oh wow. okay. So so he's he's okay. Uh so there's a rack and pinion uh system, I guess. Uh a Lego based rack and pinion system with
0: a a, trip a real yeah, uh, a trip
2: there. there. <laughs> Here's the uh, the the badge. You know, it's, it's high quality,
1: it's German made. There we
3: go. There we go. Uh, you know, also, um,
1: I won a uh, science fair, third place in in third grade, actually, uh, with a Lego rack and pinion car that I had built.
0: Okay.
3: And by the way, uh, the rack and pinion is the focusing mechanism. It is moving it in and out. So, so when, I
2: don't know if I'll be able to get it to work, but when this is on bulb, uh, yeah, it's too dark behind me. But maybe mm-hmm. see
3: what... Is that a ground glass?
2: It is.
1: No, it's clear the... Lego blocks. Clear Lego yeah. blocks. <laughs> clear Lego <laughs> blocks is your ground
2: glass. Yeah. Do you see the light?
1: Yeah. <sighs> projecting on it. It does. Yeah, it
2: does great. focus. It's kind of hard to. Ah,
1: oh, that is beautiful. That. <laughs> well done. That's probably the most complicated Lego camera I have ever seen.
2: Okay, it It's a is... control panel. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
3: It very, very much has the look and feel of, like, a, a Contact 645.
2: Yeah, um, right in there. The Mamiya 645.
3: Yeah. Um. Huh. So, <laughs> okay, so how many times have you heard dad... What?
2: I need that Lego piece.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> oh, we have, I have my set. She has her, no. Um, <laughs> she's uh she's, um, she likes to help. She's a good helper. She'll, All right. she'll help me build. So she's like, Oh, what part do you need now, dad? <laughs> fascinated by it. She's got a little engineer brain too. I think she's going uh, to uh, grow gotten up to take her into apart- making cameras. Um she helps me. She's helped me build some of these um to some degree, you know. She's like, "Oh, what are you doing now?" She asks me questions and uh we've already always treated her like a small adult. She gets she gets the real answers, you know. It's it's there's no magic.
4: It's just, oh. <laughs> this is how it all
2: happens. Um so you know, she she's always, always wants to know she's she builds little things on her own. She'll she'll stack a bunch of Legos together that kind of resembles a camera profile and run around and um, take pictures with me. But we, we um I gave her a film camera when she was like three or four and we would go on film walks together, uh photo walks, picture walks, walk down the railroad tracks. You'll see a lot of that stuff in my Instagram feed, but it's, uh you know, made it part of family time
3: so uh we have a question from uh the folks watching live on youtube um uh ben crone says can i use mega blocks from dollar general i'm poor <laughs> 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 or do you have to use the genuine
2: um <laughs> uh, danish plastic uh, i mean i think we could let that go
1: I mean... <laughs> Do clothes for medium format
2: uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, large format. This is our dupla block eleven by fourteen.
1: <laughs> we had another question from Francois Laverdeur about the IZone camera in the background. Um is that uh used as an IZone camera or is it destined for uh the chop shop? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I had
2: every intention of using it as an I-Zone camera. I found it at a rich store with like three packs of film with it. I was like, no way the film, that's like the hardest thing Mm -hmm. to find. Right. Um, but they were all bad. So it's, uh, I mean, I I got the same
3: deal four packs shot them all. Not a good frame in the bunch.
4: Mm -hmm. 50
3: cents down the drain.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: i don't know uh what i'd be able to get out of that lens i'm sure it doesn't have a very large image circle i'm sure it's a little 35 mil so if i do anything, i I bet it'll cover apsc
1: <laughs> oh there's a there's That's, a format.
3: there
1: okay uh, ben so Krun says i saw an instructable that attempted to put aps film in an I zone <laughs> silliness it sounds yeah I, uh, or silliness abounds <laughs> so, okay uh, so all you need is
3: uh just a body cap and uh i think that i have thrown my i'm pretty sure my eye zone has been thrown away now i want one back um but send me your address i'm I'm, t- <laughs> I'm telling you a body cap that's not a body cap i have body caps floating around this desktop along with everything else but a body cap and um uh and uh i'll i'll bet it'll do something pretty close to that focal length um you know on a mirrorless so
2: right
1: well we'll have to see what happens next okay (laughs) okay enough about cameras we're here talking about camera bags (laughs) no so i think i mean we're we're kind of towards the end of the show and uh i think you run like a pretty serious business making sewn products. I, in fact, have, I have two, one is a pencil case. This one is what I carry around what I'm using as my webcam right now, but it's my uh, digital camera bag. It's super nice, pretty like waterproofy or water resistant. And uh, yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about um, uh, your the other businesses you run, and maybe, uh, maybe we might see some camera bags or straps or uh, fabric cameras <laughs> coming out of you. So if there's anything that I've
2: learned in my career of photography and the sewn trades, that kind of thing, um, whenever you make a uh, hobby or uh, activity that you truly love into a business, a full-time business you you really learn to not love it anymore um, <laughs> so um, you know the, that's why the commercial photography thing kind of I lost taste for it it just wasn't it wasn't me um, and uh, you know that's what brought me around to building cameras and kind of exploring it as an art form um, you know and uh, sewing has kind of taken the same career path though so I I've uh, explored it as an art form. Now it's uh, kind of our, our, our daily bread and butter tool. Um, uh, but um, there's a main reason I, I haven't sold any of my cameras because um, I know what it would take to uh, launch a project like that. Hats off to you, Ethan. That's incredible. Um, uh, but it would have to be, it's a heavy lift. It's a really heavy lift. And I've done it with a couple businesses now. And um, I like, keeping the camera thing kind of a personal, uh, personal art piece, you know, um, you know, eventually that'll turn into books and uh, gallery shows and things like that. When I have time to edit and print and um, compose all that stuff, but um, you know, back to the sewn trades element um, there, there is um, just because we have the assets and resources to do. This is super easy for us to make products that are dedicated to uh, the uh, camera world you know so um, in the near future I've got a few ideas grinding around Um, you know I work a lot with leather uh, so we're looking at doing some leather straps but it is a flooded market and I don't want to step on anybody's toes out there that's you know making beautiful leather camera straps already Um, and you know I, well, the camera bag world is kind of flooded too with a lot of really nice high-end products that are affordable, and to um, you know bring something like that to market again can be kind of challenging. So I'm I'm looking at like the middle road here, like what's going to be the most uh, affordable product that we can bring to market that all virtually anybody could use. So uh, you know, Ethan, you've got our DOP kit there, the bag that you're just showing us. Um, that's like a, a four by eight by five um zipper pouch it's got a little side zipper pouch on it um I use those for uh like all my cables my um, radio slaves live in one of those I've got like um uh, I use one as a dop kit you know all my regular everyday sundries and whatnot um and then um uh, I think uh lens wraps I don't know if you guys remember uh, oh yeah company oh i have a few hundred mbc i think they were called mbc uh -hmm. they were um they made really great lens wraps but uh they disappeared a few years ago um and they also made some really cool pouches so uh i kind of see a niche there i love these lens wraps you can wrap anything in it cameras uh you know recording equipment whatever uh and it'll fit a wide variety of sizes so you know i We have some some cool ideas. Right now I'm shopping around for a brand name. So I'm trying to, you know, if anybody has some good ideas out there on what they want to see uh, in terms of simple camera products. Um, I also have an SX70 case I made for myself. Whoa. Um, Super simple, ugly ugly SX70 here, but folds down. Got a pocket in the back, so you can put your prints in it as you as you make them. And uh nice thing about this is it slips inside of your regular everyday bag or backpack, so you have your camera with you. It's protected in your bag, but it's not, you um, know, uh, you know, it's not an extra accessory to carry with you. So, um, and again, I carried an SX70 for decades. It's my most favorite camera uh in terms of uh commercial cameras you know Mm -hmm. Um, so uh keep an eye out for that that's something that i'm going to bring to market and i'll i'll probably launch this stuff through uh this sunny 16 um uh, uh instagram feed um and then um you know kind of build on that uh platform for our our marketing but uh you know if you're looking for some of the stuff we make now which really covers a wide gamut we make a lot of backpacks custom hats we do a lot of custom cut and sew so if somebody's out there looking to make a product line uh that's something we can help you develop um uh, and hopefully put into production and hopefully be able to do it stateside Uh, labor cost is crazy here compared to china so it's a it's a difficult battle you got to find the right balance and uh cost of goods, uh, and, and market value. So you know, I, uh, I, uh,
1: worked for the largest clothing manufacturer in the United States in 2011, 2012. And, um, then eventually actually <laughs> my worst business decision of all time was flying to, uh, Thailand and Vietnam and having, you know, 30, 40 grand worth of, uh, clothing manufactured and shipped back. And I just realized like at the the cost of doing it on a, Small and medium scale, I really wasn't saving all that much um, because I saved on labor, right? But you either you pay for the shipping after the product is done or you pay for the shipping on the raw materials, right? Because that all comes from China. And so, you know, a third of the cost of a garment was labor. And so, if a third of the cost doubled to have it made in the U.S., but I didn't have to spend a month sitting in Bangkok sweating myself silly, uh, and like hiring a translator to negotiate uh, uh, with the jobber, like it—it it seems like you know, if you're not going to make more than five thousand of any individual piece, like it kind of, if you're selling it in America or or shipping it from America, it, it can make a lot more sense do it here i think that's a reasonable biz.
2: yeah yeah a big challenge right now is excuse me just finding a place that does that kind of work you know this is something that we've offshored for the last 30 years and as a result there's technology in the sewn trades that doesn't even exist stateside they have machines that do things overseas that we don't have here you know they're not even programmed in english um to for us to to be able to operate them um so you know we've we've as a country have really done ourselves a disservice and i you know can point out numeral numerous um circumstances where it's uh had a major impact on all of our major cities and i'm not just talking like steel uh mm-hmm. produ- you know manufacturing and that kind of thing which we really saw drop off in the 80s and 90s and it threw out i
1: mean you're you're just north of the american southeast which was like you know north carolina south carolina was huge textile production you know for a hundred years and um uh furniture yep that's
2: a lot of the industry that remains in the country is is there and they're um giant companies right they do they handle like 80% Eighty percent of every hospital contract in the United States and they make everything from towels to bed sheets to uh, scrubs they they just it's become a um, uh, a monopoly of sorts and it's um you know and that's that's really done a disservice to to the small manufacturer community you know um, in terms of sustainability for a manufacturer you've got um, Right now in our current economy, you're looking at uh, living or working in your, your living space. So i.e. your bedroom, your basement, your garage, building that stuff uh, where you have low overhead or you're 15 to 20 employees in 10,000 square feet with a significant amount of overhead. So anywhere in between there, you're just not your 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 cost of operation is too high for your output um mm-hmm. and it really just doesn't allow any room for a small business to grow so you know i am using cell Lab right now to find a way to bridge that gap in our city and bring the sewn trades back to uh back to what we do um you know again I, i'm hands on i'm a technician through and through uh, I, I don't call myself an entrepreneur I feel like that just doesn't
1: that's meant fit- for uh, fitness people who have YouTube yeah. channels <laughs>
2: yep bingo yeah I just that's not me I'm I'm mechanical you know I I can take apart and rebuild all of our sewing machines I can take apart and rebuild any shape that you can imagine and I can turn it into fabric or whatever um, but uh, you know I not everybody has that not everybody actually a lot of people don't have that skill and, and it's something that I think, um, you know, can, needs to come back to our country in a big way. And I think it'll help our cities and our, our, our youth, you know, like I don't think you need to go to college to have a great education or a great career path. And I think we need, wait, no, hold on,
3: hold on.
1: Uh, go to college kids.
2: Cause I scam. need to
1: eat. <laughs> I, uh, i i spent a quarter million on on college and uh i learned everything that i know on youtube yeah but that's the reason
4: you Is didn't go to community
1: college community no, college uh no, i don't think i spent a quarter million but maybe more than a tenth um i i don't mean any disrespect to colleges because there's
2: a lot of great schools out there but i do think that um You know, I think kids need to get out there, get a job right out of high school and figure out what they want to do. Try some things, you know, and, and see, find out people need to find out what they don't want to do because if you go to college dollars to figure out what you don't want to do, you like, which I've seen that again and again,
3: I, I had my last final for, um, for my web design students yesterday and I had a long discussion with a with somebody who didn't want to do web design, and had had finished a two year degree in something he didn't want to do, and uh, and that frustrates me, um, and it frustrated him, and that's but you know find out what you don't want to do,
1: and then go do something else. Okay, so getting back back to the the getting off. Ragging on <clears> college, <throat> uh, Jeremiah. Where can people find SoLab if they are potential uh, customers, either you know, wholesale or retail?
3: And let's um, let's make sure it's S E W L A B. Yep, S E
2: W L A B U S A dot So solabusa.com dot uh, If you ride a bike uh Check out holdfastordie.com. That's our uh, foot retention system that we started back in 2009, still going strong. Um, and if you're looking for cloth masks or PPE, uh, we have a US Made Safe website. So, usmadesafe.com. And that has uh, a cloth mask system that we developed at the beginning of the pandemic uh, this past year. And um, those are customizable. So, for anybody that's running a business and you know, needs match your uniform or something like that, we can we can accommodate. Uh, we also bought into an N95 mask making system or invested in an N95 mask making system, which is a huge project. Um, and we're still uh, pursuing our NIOSH application, which is really a big lift. Um, so uh, we're selling uh, uh, N95s uh, very soon. So you know, check us out there if, uh, if that's something that interests you.
0: All right. Um, so at this point we're going to ask, uh, do you
3: have any shout outs, anybody you want to say, you know, thanks for
2: the, for, uh, for anything. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say thank you to my uncle Joe for teaching me that sunny 16 thing, man, that got me a long way. Um, <laughs>
3: We all need enablers. My aunt is my enabler. She bought me my first camera, you know?
2: Yep. Um, He was my film dealer, too. You know, he got me well well stocked in film.
3: Um, First roll's free, man. First roll's free. (laughs) Yeah. So
2: I will uh, send out a heavy scolding to Fujifilm. Still mad at you for taking all that stuff (laughs) off the shelf. Um, You know, don't do it to our Instax wide. It is... Not quite as nice as the XP-100C, but please keep it around for a while. And Polaroid, what did you do?
3: (laughs) Okay, Ethan, do you have anybody to shout
1: out to? Uh, Yeah, I think um, Jeff Perry's working on this milkshake mixer, the Super Swizzle or something like that. It's an automated um, Patterson tank stirrer, which I'm sure will get a million people online like, why would you need that? I just shake the tank, which yeah. is fine. But like, if your time is worth anything, you can go make a sandwich and come back. And this thing just stirs your film for, you know, hours. And okay. Hours. So,
3: um, Jeff's been demonstrating that on, uh, Instagram. I want to be very clear.
1: Don't buy the one with the clear tank. You're going to fog your film. No, it's fine. You do it uh, a <laughs> with orthochromatic film. No, I'm, I'm excited about the Kickstarter campaign. Um, People should go check that out, and that's all I. Yeah,
3: got. and is that is that live yet?
1: Um, no, not live yet, but coming soon. Okay. His Instagram, twentieth uh, century camera.
3: Okay, I have a couple of uh, shout outs. I wanted to, and I'm going to explain to you, uh, explain to everybody what the shout outs are. This is um my little um lens. It is a 15 millimeter lens. That I just measured has a one or a ten millimeter diameter that that means this is a fifteen millimeter one point five um so it covers a p s c it covers my fuji uh webcam um I've been posting a lot on Instagram with this in the last few days, but I wanted to show you guys how it was put together It's two parts this is simply a body cap that is Cut out, okay, so that's a body cap for the Fuji X. And then I have this, um, and this is just, you know, this is the film part, and it it has an adhesive felt around there. So the diameter of the cylinder is uh, two millimeters less than the diameter of the hole, and that perfectly fits the felt. So it keeps it in there and you can use it as a lens baby. You can tilt it and, and do all that type of stuff. So I didn't design this. This is a 3D printed. I didn't design this. I went to Thingiverse and there is a uh, there are two guys who, who did these. Uh, one is IG Farm. IG Farm, I'm gonna say thank you to IG Farm. He did an extension tube and then I took it into Fusion 360 and cut it down to this. Um, and so thank you IG Farm. And I also have a Pentax K body cap uh, by Max Zero U. Um, so M-A-X, the numeral zero, and then the U. Um, so those guys shared their work and have allowed me to um, not spend any time modeling that. So thank you very much. Um, and uh, um, it, it, it's it's a ton of bunch of fun. And um, uh, so thank you. Uh, thanks to Nick, who's not here today. Um, he was here in spirit, but not in voice hey, or body. Um and uh and I guess that's it. We have to thank Robbie, Robbie Cribs of Sound Trap Studios. Um so uh Robbie um uh composed the theme music that you're about to hear. And okay. um anything else? We're good. Thanks, Robbie. Okay, thanks Robbie, thanks Robbie, and thanks Jeremiah for coming on. Thank you, thank
0: you guys. Great talking to you.